From the American College of Financial Services, it's time for NextGen in 10. I'm Ross Riskin, chair of the NextGen Advisory Task Force. And for the next 10 minutes, you'll be joined by our hosts and guests discussing topics relevant to up-and-coming financial advisors. Welcome everyone to Next Gen in 10. I'm Alana Phillips and here with me today, I have Jordan Murray of Acord and Fong Wall Strategies and Lincoln Financial Advisors. Thanks for being here, Jordan. Absolutely, thank you so much for having me. So Jordan, I know you've had a really significant amount of growth over the past several years and 10 years in the business. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what that growth rate has looked like, maybe just in rough numbers from, you know, where you started at year zero to where you are now at year 10? Absolutely. Uh, my first year, my goal was to, there was a, a Lincoln validation schedule that I was required to keep pace on. And, and, and that was, I had to do a million dollars of cumulative revenue over the first six years. And so, first of all, when keeping track of revenue and keeping track of your performance, there's a couple of things I'd bear in mind. Number one, what gets measured gets done. Uh, we say that in our practice, we say that in our organization, what gets measured gets done. And so I measured every piece of revenue I had coming in from the 10 cent 12 v one fee being kicked off of a mutual fund, you know, all the way up to the big stuff. And so I would encourage young advisors to be very clear about where their revenue comes from. I mean, I, I would ask my business partner, hey, how much do we get paid on this or that? And he would say, I don't know because, you know, that piece of revenue relative to his flow and the size of the practice, it wasn't super important that he knew exactly what that paid. But when it was paying my rent, I needed to know exactly what it paid. And so it started out, my, my first year started out, almost everything was joint work, uh, very much based on the generosity of my business partner. And then over time, I took the attitude that I wanted to repay him you know, tenfold, whatever he paid me, you know, in terms of, because at the very beginning, I was getting paid far more than I was worth. And I want to make sure that, that he gets back from me far more than he invested in me. And so, you know, we started off with a certain revenue split. And then as I became more and more effective, that revenue kind of went up and then hit a cap. And that revenue split is the same today as it was probably eight years ago. And I'm, and I'm fine with that. And then as my career progressed, I started to do more work on my own. And when I did more work on my own, my split for that kind of business was even higher. And then now as we've, we're going to get into this later, but as we've acquired practices, my split is again, even higher, but it's very rare. We have, uh, a, with the exception of family and close friends, most of my business is split either with my business partner or with another junior partner on my team. Again, that just is part of working in an ensemble practice. I think that's so cool that you guys have that, you know, want to take care of each other and invest in each other really as, as partners. And I know Martin obviously made that investment in you to begin with. You're doing that now back to Martin and also with your next gen advisors and certainly is paying off for, for your entire team. Now, Jordan, you also have now a couple of next gen advisors that are on your team that have joined in the, the past few years or, or in that survival phase of their business. What do you think is really helping you to help them be successful? What are some of those keys? 
That is a great, great question. And we've made about every mistake there is to make. And so part of it is I would just encourage people as they try these new things. Number one, talk to people that have done it before. You know, talk to smart people that have brought on other advisors, learn from their mistakes. They're much less expensive and time consuming. And two is don't be afraid to make to make mistakes, to make errors. I had my very first assistant was my second year in the practice. She wanted to become an advisor. We turned her out into an advisor. She suffered through a year and then failed out and left. And so we've had, and we've had that happen with, we had another person that that happened with before we figured this out. So I don't want to pretend that we've, we've done this right the first time. And so don't be afraid to not do it right the first time. But number one, you got to look at it as an investment. I've got a, a, a junior planner down in our Fresno office. I'm pretty sure he's not yet been profitable and it's been almost two years. He's kept money on the books and grown our practice and there are lots of fringe benefits. But if I look at how much we've paid him in a salary and a bonus, versus how much revenue he's provided at the same time, I'm pretty sure those numbers aren't even. But I know that if I make the environment comfortable enough for him, he'll stick around. So a lot of times I've seen advisors take the attitude of, well, this business is so great. I'm you know, 20 years into this business and this business is so great. And this business was so much harder when I started. These people just need to toughen up a little bit. And our business is so great, they're never going to leave. And I think that that's a mistake. I think you need to understand where people are, what, what's important to them. And sometimes money is less important to them than stability. And the big mistake in this business with people is assuming everybody thinks the same way that you do and that everybody values the same things that you value. So with junior people, you really got to look and see where they're at and try to design. And we've recruited people from other firms. We've had salaried advisors. We've had advisors that have gone straight to a commission-based structure. And we've done all three of those because the people we did it with were very different people and they all wanted very different things. And you know, I was talking to a mentor of mine, Nick Horn, who spent a lot of time in the military, and he said the military used to have this idea that if you weren't willing to put a knife in your mouth and crawl over the bluffs on the Normandy invasion, that you weren't a real, you know, you weren't a real soldier. Well, you know, soldier, you know, the army's got cooks, the army's got secretaries, the armor's got people that are willing to climb, you know, climb over the cliffs on Normandy. And so it's okay to have different people on your team. They don't all have to be Navy SEAL commando type people. They can be people that do other things and add to your practice and practice in different ways. Jordan, I think that's so awesome. That flexibility, especially when we talk about next gen advisors is so important that coming into this industry, it doesn't have to look the way that it looked for the senior advisor, right? And they don't have to make 300 cold calls a day and they don't have to call their friends and family to sell life insurance to them, even though that's still the way a lot of companies are bringing new people into this industry. So thank you for having that flexibility and realizing that there is an investment necessary <clears throat> to help next-gen advisors be successful. Now, I want to hear your opinion on one last thing, because I know that your team is so awesome at this. What do you think the, the role joint work has played in helping your next-gen advisors be successful? You know, what I would say could be summed up in one line. Anything less than joint work is a waste of time. And I really feel that way. I think if you're a junior planner and you're doing things on your own, you're wasting time because you could be doing that with it with somebody else who could be 
teaching you at the same time to be more effective. And I think as a senior, I, I try to do almost no work by myself because number one, I have to service it. If, I do, if I'm the only planner on it, I can't expect somebody to go see the client three times a year for the next 20 years. I have to service every single meeting for the rest of my career. That's a commitment I don't know that I'm quite willing to make, no matter who the client is. And two, I miss out on an opportunity to enrich the development of somebody on my team. And so in my mind, joint work is the only way to sustainably build a practice. I mean, I've got guys on my team that could write financial plans all day long that have been doing it for two years. I'd put them in front of any $20 million client. And I, you know, in fact, in a couple of months, we've got two of the most junior people on my team flying to another state to meet with an executive board and to meet with all of their C-suite people to do financial plans for them. They've been in this business for two years but they've seen more in two years than most guys, men or women have seen in 10. Yeah. And that's because I wanted to do joint work with them. And, and gosh, you can get rich doing it either way. I'm, you know, I've been doing this 10 years. I'm making more money than I ever thought I would make. I've got a great life. I make breakfast for my son almost every morning. And, you know, what an opportunity that is to be doing this 10 years to be financially stable in one of the most expensive places in the world to live and to be able to have time with your family. You know, I could only do that because of the joint work culture that we have in our practice. I love it. We're going to start a new hashtag, hashtag joint work or death. Thanks for that, Jordan. <laughs> You're welcome. For more episodes, visit our website at theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. This has been Next Gen in 10, brought to you by the American College of Financial Services.